All right. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. You guys, most of you guys look good. Just kidding, just kidding. It's great to be here. I'm Brian Robinson, one of the pastors here at River City Church. Welcome visitors, family, friends, former friends. It's good to be here. Um, this is my first time speaking on Easter, so I'm a little nervous. It's a little, little nerve-wracking. I spoke on Earth Day one time, very similar. <laughs> um, first time speaking, though, so I'm excited. This is a privilege to be, to be sharing with you guys this morning. This is a big day. They call it the Super Bowl Sunday for the church world. 50% of Americans will be in church today, 50%. Typically, it's about 18%, so a lot of people come to church. 200 million Easter eggs are died, not killed. I mean, they're, they're, already, they're not alive, but they're, they're died. And 89%, oh, this is it, this is big. Who here is a, is a chocolate bunny eater? Chocolate bunnies? Like six of you. 90% of you eat the, the ears first. Who does not eat the ears first? Anyone? Like, what's first? What's first, Brian? Legs? The butt. The butt's first. <laughs> we'll pray later. We'll pray later. <laughs> so it's a big day. It's a big weekend. It's, it's, really, it's really exciting. This is an amazing day to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. Let me pray for us as we, as we get started. Father, we just love you this morning. We thank you for the celebration of worship, during worship, God, that you are worthy, Lord, of all our praise and all our affection, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd open up your word to us right now, that you'd come, Holy Spirit. I pray you would comfort the broken and bring joy to those who know you and who desire you this morning, God. Thank you that you are alive. You're the living God. You're the living God, and we love you, Jesus, for you first loved us. Amen. Okay. Let's begin with Luke 24, the story of the, of the resurrection, kind of in two parts. should be on the screen. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Skipping down to 36. While they were still talking about this, there we go, there we go, New, new, uh, new, new technology today. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins 
will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Let's stop there. This is a story. It's amazing that they literally are looking at the risen Christ and they're still doubting. Like they're seeing him. He has pierced hands and feet and they're still in shock. They still can't believe it's him. And he says, give me a piece of fish, you know, give me some fr- fried fish and chips and I'll prove that I'm, I'm a person, I'm real. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he bears the marks to this day in heaven that he is the son of God. He has scars on his hands and his feet and his side and he is alive. He meets us in the place of questions and doubt. He met, he met them there. So if you're here this morning and you still are just here because you got drug here or something like that, he's not afraid of your questions or your doubts or, or the, the unanswered prayers or the, the feelings you may have. He's not afraid of those things. He doesn't, he doesn't shun you for those things. He wants to engage you where you are. So I would just encourage you that. You know, we always talk on Easter about <clears throat> kind of the traditional important thing we talk about is Jesus died for the sins of the world. All of us, you know, when we, all of us would say, I think that when we see some evil happen, when we see something that is, that is truly wicked, there should be justice, right? There should be, there should be a penalty. There should be a consequence. That's in our, it's in our DNA as humans. When we see a, the bad guys get away with being bad, we, have to, we say to ourselves, that's not fair. There should be justice. And sometimes there's not justice. Sometimes they get away with it. Sometimes they live their whole lives and they... They make money off the poor and they exploit the, the, the poor and whatever and they become wealthy and they die and they, they don't pay for anything. There's no, there's no seeming consequences for their actions. But it's in our very DNA as people to say there should be justice. God put that in us. And Jesus came to bring, to satisfy the justice of God because in every one of us, every single one of us, including me, including you, every single one of us, we deserve, we deserve that. We deserve the penalty of our sin. We deserve the consequence of our choices. We deserve hell. And we cannot pay the penalty. There's no way I could ever satisfy, and there's no way I could ever pay the debt that I owe God. It's impossible. It's impossible. So someone had to do it. Jesus had to come, and not just come as the Son of God. He had to come as the perfect obedient son of God. He had to follow the will of the Father perfectly. If he sinned even one time, if he was impure even one time, lustful one time, greedy one time, angry one time, unforgiving one time, bitter one time, his death would have meant nothing. But he was the pure lamb of God. He was the righteous lamb of God. He came to satisfy something I could never do. Does that make sense? He had to do it. He had to live a perfectly obedient life so that when he went to the cross, he was a perfect sacrifice. We mentioned the curtain being torn in two. Like, that's an amazing illustration. In the temple, there was this curtain, in the, uh, the Jewish temple. The curtain separated the presence of God and the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world, the priests and then the rest of the world. It was like his manifest presence, his, his, very, his very being was behind that curtain where the, where the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was there. And when Jesus died on that Good Friday, literally the curtain was ripped in two. This three foot, I think three feet thick curtain that was humongous. It was ripped in two, signifying something had changed in that moment of his death. In that moment, something was satisfied. And the presence of God, the very presence of God was no longer 
confined behind a curtain in a, in a, in a temple. It's, it's confined to the human heart now. We become the temples of the living God. Jesus says that if you receive me, you will receive the one who sent me. The Holy Spirit will come inside of you and you will be my son or daughter. That's an unbe- that's un- unbelievable reality of Easter. That the curtain was ripped in two saying God is no longer held back because his son satisfied the penalty of sin. When he rose from the dead, he defeated the consequence, the penalty of my sin and yours, which was death. And he did it for a reason. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, did, he died for us so that while we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. There it is. We may live together with him. That's what he's after. That's what God is after. He's after you. He's after relationship. He's after reconciling you to himself through his son so he could know you and you could live and walk and have life with him forever. That's what he's after. He's after true intimacy with his sons and daughters. He's not after just satisfying sin. There's something more important. It's relationship. The father desires you. He doesn't just, he doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. You actually touch him uniquely, specifically, differently than anyone else. Individually, you have something to offer God differently than I do. Your love for him is unique. And he is interested in that. He's reconciling and he's desiring that. That's what he's after. We may live together with him. That's one of the beauties of of the resurrection on Easter. The second one is this. Not as popular to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, I love I love epic epic stories. I love like like um, when I was a kid, Narnia, Carl's Narnia. I love Lord of the Rings. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. A little dork about it. Um, I love Star Wars as a kid. I love Star Wars now. I love um, I love the Marvel uh, the Marvel Avengers stuff going on. Yeah, this Friday, this Friday, guys. Yes, Avengers Endgame. Who's gonna go see the movie? Who's going? Who's going? Raise your hand. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Any visitors going? Any visitors here going to see Marvel? Okay, you guys going? Okay. Tickets for you right here. Two tickets. Saturday. It's a good movie. He dies in the end. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. No, for real. It's, it, I, love the, I love the Avengers. I love this, this movie coming up. But, but there's something about these movies, something about these stories, these epics, that are just shadows of, of real truth. There is like this epic story of good versus evil, of this evil villain of some kind, Darth Vader or Voldemort or Thanos or whoever it may be in the, in the epic. And that, that is just a shadow 
of something that is greater. Theologians call it a signal of transcendence. There's a word for the day. Signal of transcendence. Like there's something greater than, than what we're seeing in this movie. There's actually a real battle going on in this world. And there was a real battle in Jesus' day. Spiritual warfare is, is a real thing. And going back to the story of Genesis, way back to the creation, a serpent slithered up, the devil in the form of a snake slithered up, and, and he convinced Adam and Eve to sin against God by eating the apple. And in that moment, in that moment, the dominion that they were given over the earth, Adam and Eve, they gave it to the enemy. They gave it to Satan. And he became the ruler of the world. He became the ruler of this age. Jesus called him the ruler of this age. We don't like snakes. I mean, a lot of us don't like snakes. This week, we actually found a snake here at church. I know. Talk about spiritual warfare. Now, <clears throat> some folks were scared. I don't personally, I'm not personally scared of snakes, but some, some folks on staff are a little bit scared of snakes. This snake happened to be about this big. <laughs> but she was terrified of seeing this snake. I'm not going to use her name. She's not from the United, she's not from the United States. Anyway, um, she, uh, she was terrified that this snake would, would, would kill us all. And... But I, I was not afraid of the snake. I didn't see the snake besides just for a second, but then someone else took him out and, and prayed for him or something. But the snake's gone now. But there was a real snake, a real, a real enemy of our souls that literally in the garden deceived Adam and Eve. And God said this in Genesis 3, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between you, between your, sorry, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, talking about Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So that prophetic word given to Adam and Eve is incredible. He, God is saying that this enemy will cause great pain, great suffering, great deception. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the Bible says. The evidence of his influence in the world is everywhere you look, you guys. It's everywhere. It's, it's on the grand scale of things when you see governments who are corrupt, when you see human trafficking all over the world growing in crazy ways. It's, it's, it's everywhere, on the macro level and the micro, micro level, in our own hearts. The influence of the enemy is real. When we have murder in our hearts for someone, revenge and unforgiveness, not, it's not just our own flesh. It's like the enemy sees a wound or he sees the lie, and he comes in and he emphasizes it. He reinforces and says, you should gossip about her. You should get revenge. You should never forgive. He comes in and he brings greater bondage, greater deception, greater fear, greater accusation, greater condemnation. He's real. And in our hearts, if, we're, if, we, if, we, if we really admitted it, we would know that there's something else. There has to be a power greater than this, greater than him. Colossians 2.13 says this, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ for he forgave all our sins. Here it is. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 
He defeated. He didn't just pay for sin. He didn't just suffer the consequence of our sin. He did something even more amazing, in my opinion. He defeated the enemy of your soul. He defeated the enemy of the ages. This fallen angel called the devil, who is real, who has control of this world still. And he, Jesus, defeated his power so that we have access. We have access to authority over him. It doesn't mean we use it all the time, does it? But we have it. We have access to it as Christians. And so you are no longer a slave to sin and you're no longer a slave to the enemy. The resurrection of Jesus Christ paid for it all. It's incredible. Hebrews 12 says, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The joy set before him is you. The joy set before Jesus when he thought about the cross, when he said, I will go forward with this, you are the joy set before him. The relationship that he would again restore with humanity, with his bride, is the joy set before him. Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you know that you are loved by God this morning? Do you know that you have a purpose this morning in him? Do you know that he enjoys you uniquely? Easter is about resurrecting us to the truth of who he is. So, as I prayed about this this morning, I felt like there were four groups of, four groups of folks in, in this room, four kind of circles of people. One, you kind of, you, you kind of buy into all this. That first group, you kind of believe it. You're, you're great with this. You're walking in power. You feel good. You feel great. The Lord is with you. And I would just say, amen. He has more. He's never done with you. That group is, is awesome. Second group is people who don't believe this yet. Like, you're just here because you got invited here or maybe you got course to come or something. My question would just be, what's, what, is the, what is the thing, the answer you need? What is holding you back from belief? It's a, it's a simple question. Like, what is it, though? Is it unanswered prayers? Is it some kind of philosophical, theological thing? Because every, <laughs> there's no new arguments that are going to be developed for Jesus anymore. Every single thing has been thought and rethought and argued and re-argued. Every apologetic, every kind of philosophical debate, there's nothing new that's going to be developed to convince you of Jesus' reality. There it is. I mean, there's just not. We, we've, 2,000 years, we've been arguing about Jesus and arguing the resurrection and proof of this and 25 proofs of that and evolution's this and evolution's that. I mean, a million things. We can go back and forth. The greatest proof of the resurrection is a changed life. That's the greatest proof of the resurrection is the person you're sitting next to who brought you. They once were dead. They once were broken. They once were addicted. They once were lost. And now they're different. You can't tell me that a prisoner who's in prison for murder and then one day he's full of bitterness and rage and anger. One day he's told about Jesus and the next day he's a different man. You can't tell me that's just psychological. The greatest proof of Jesus Christ is a changed person. We're not all just idiots who are just raising our hands for nothing. I mean, we're not all just emotionally just charged weirdos. 
He changed me. He changed me, you guys. Show me the atheist who said, man, I was addicted to this. I hated that. And then I accepted that there's nothing. And now I feel so good. I accepted meaninglessness and now I was set free. Maybe you're set free to do what you really want because there's no right and wrong in your mind. But I can't find an atheist who said, I was in prison, I was addicted, I was lost, and now I came to believe in nothing and now it means something. It's nonsense in a lot of ways. You just don't find those folks. Maybe there's a few out there. Richard Dawkins, you know, bless him. But, but the reality is like, what is holding you back from belief? What's holding you back from saying, I surrender to this? The third group is the, I call them the, well, I'll, just, I'll say this. There are, there are many of us who believe and, and want this, but we have just enough of the world in us that we can't enjoy Jesus. Or we have just enough of Jesus in us and we can't enjoy the world. And it's like we have our smoke screens and our, our reasons for not really giving it all to him. It's like, but first. It's like, you're in high school. High school, it says, I, I, I want to believe this, but, but first I want to, you know, I want to have some fun. Get to college. I had to finish college, but first let me finish college. I know you're calling me Lord, but first. Then it's career, and then it's family, but first, but first, but first. You know, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is to not get you to disbelieve. It's just to get you to delay obedience. It's a great tool to delay obedience. But first, I need to worry about this. But first, I need to worry about that. But first, I have to do this. Jesus addressed this group. Luke 9, he said to this person, come and follow me, 959. Come and follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead, for your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. To another, he said, did I miss something? Where are we? Another, he said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus does not lower the bar. I can't, on Easter morning, water it down. We water it down all the time in America. We lower the bar so much that we want to make the gospel so appealing and so rosy and so attractive that you just walk right in and go, that's easy. Well, that's really not worth it. Because what costs nothing is worth nothing. That's the reality, folks. We have lowered the cost so much when Jesus never lowered the cost. He's like, I want all of you, your whole heart. I want it all or just forget it. Lukewarmness is not going to work. I want all of you. But first doesn't work. The enemy wants you to keep saying, but first, but first, let me do this, Lord. Let me do, let me do that, Lord. Just fill in the blank. We've all done it. We've all said it. I will obey, but first. I will follow. You're calling me to this, but first, but first. And Jesus says, I'm with you. I gave it all. I paid it all. Will you follow me? And then the last group, is those who are sitting here this morning who really just feel none of this, actually. You feel very much like this doesn't even relate to me. And you feel like, not the but first group or the unbelievers, you just feel like you're just tired. You feel, you feel forsaken. You feel like you've had unanswered prayers, you've had tragedies in your life, you've had sicknesses or disease, or you've had 
struggles, you've been in the wilderness, in the desert, and you've continued over and over again just to wait, and God doesn't seem to show up. And you feel, you feel forsaken. And if I were honest, I would say to you that that's kind of how I feel in my life most recently. The past few months has been some of the hardest months of, of my life. And I'll just be honest. Like, Antley leaving was hard for me. Antley it was our former pastor here. 28 years I've known Antley Fowler, one of my best friends. Saying about him was really hard. But that wasn't, that wasn't the huge thing, but it was, it was hard saying about Antley. I love him. But um, a month ago, my father-in-law passed away. My father-in-law. And he was and is, and he was an amazing man. He was a young 62-year-old pastor, 35 years in ministry, just dropped dead one night. Had a heart attack and just dropped dead. And I remember that night praying with my wife. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, we're praying because he hadn't passed away yet. We got what, a phone call. You know, the phone call was, he's not, he's, he's still breathing and he's, he, has, he has a heart rate. Keep praying. They're doing CPR on him right now. And we prayed and we prayed. And, and it was like that, you know, when you, when you first start praying, you get that fear. It's like you're just praying out of fear. You're just kind of like, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. And all of a sudden, something, something changed in my heart. Like there was like a, a moment where I felt like something transitioned and I was praying in faith. And I, I, felt, like, I felt like breakthrough. I'm like, I'm praying. I'm like, he's going to be okay. I felt like he's going to be okay. I was praying with confidence and with authority. And the phone rang again. He's dead. And... Man, that, that shock of that, like the, why God, why would, why would the Lord take someone so amazing as Cash Beverage, his real name, Cash Beverage, <laughs> his real name, 35 years serving the Lord, a humble man of God who served behind the scenes. His funeral was massive. 800 people were there from 30 years of ministry. He loved people so well. He, he was not a flashy, charismatic, upfront kind of guy. He loved in the trenches he, he, he cared for people. He, he planted a church in a small county called Caroline County, Virginia, where it was so poor, people would bring their ties. They'd bring eggs from their farm. He sacrificed everything to love people. He gave his 401k to plant a church. He was a man of God. Why did he die? I stood with my friend, my good friend. We, he, he led worship in the service. And we stood there. Look at, we looked out at the audience of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, and this, this friend of mine is, a, is an amazing, he leads conferences with thousands of people. I mean, he, he preaches all over the world. He's like, he's like the superstar. And he said, you know, Cash's death has caused me to rethink my entire life. We're looking at the, at the group of people. He says, this is greatness, Brian. He laid his life down for people. I'm up front preaching, thinking all the power and all the stuff happening and all the worship. Cash laid his life down. This was greatness. This was greatness. And it shocked me. And I said, Lord, why? Why, why now? My, grand, my, my sons will not have a, grand, a granddad. Papa Cash is gone. The kind of grandpa you would give your right arm for. He, he just such wisdom and such love. And all I can say is this. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. It's like I was going along with this much grace. This much grace. And then tragedy happened. And it became this much grace. It's not like he entered in and just took away the pain. It's, it's that he said, you were going along at this pace, but I have this much grace for this season. Paul says his grace is sufficient for his power is made perfect in weakness. 
His power is made perfect in weakness. And so we go along in our own little way. Life is good, and then tragedy happens. And if, if we turn to him with that, if we turn to him with the unanswered prayers and the, and the anger and the fear, his grace will be sufficient with you. He is the God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with you in the trenches of pain. I can't explain why cash is gone. It doesn't make logical sense to me. I can't explain why you're sick or why you, keep, why you stay sick or you keep battling sickness. I can't explain why you keep having, having problems financially. I can't explain why you've had unanswered prayers. But I can tell you he's with you. And he suffered as well. Beyond what you can imagine. It doesn't negate your suffering. It just means there's a purpose to your suffering. There is not pointless suffering in Jesus. There never is pointless suffering if you're a Christian, ever. Joyce Meyer, I mean, I I read her story this past week. She was molested over 200 times by her father. He gave her to people and she forgave her dad for what he had done. The, The story of her life is just shocking. But she's like, the grace of Jesus did this. The grace of God did this. It's beautiful. Again, what other truth is like this truth of our, of our God? The grace of Jesus Christ, you guys. It, you can't, it's unearned, unmerited favor, acceptance, love. It never changes. Grace is different than mercy. It's like mercy plus love and favor and acceptance and access. It's all of it. The resurrection is all about grace. It's amazing grace. And in this season of brokenness, there's grace for me and there's grace for you. So I would just encourage you, if that's you, if that forsakenness feels real to you, don't turn to bitterness. Don't turn to hardness and unforgiveness. That blocks it. Say, God, this is how I feel. I give this to you. One day, one day at a time. It's not easy. It's not easy. But he is with you. In the forsakenness, in the wilderness, he is with you. And his grace is sufficient. And his grace is efficient. Let's stand. Let's stand. So at our church, we do ministry time. It's this thing we call ministry time at the end where we have 10 minutes or so where we open the front. We invite our prayer ministers down in just a second. They're people that pray for people. They're uh, trained professionals. And we pray for people who feel something from this talk. We don't want to just leave it here. This is a nice little speech Brian gave. He was so powerful. (laughs) So attractive. No. That doesn't just, it doesn't just end at a talk. We, We want to apply it. We want to invite you to experience it. We want to, we want to invite you to, to come forward and experience God's love. So we have people that will just pray for you. They're not going to come and do something weird. They're going to put their hand on you, and they're just going to listen for God, for his spirit, and they're just going to pray for you. This may be a little bit weird. This may, this may not be what you do at your, at your church back home. But we believe this is pr- probably the most important part of our service. And sometimes we've, we've, we've taken it out before on, on big you know, days to, to make visitors feel more at ease. But not today, folks. Not today. We want to invite you to, to experience God's love. There's, there's nothing, there's no shame coming down front. You're not saying, well, I'm a drug addict. I'm coming down front. You know, I got to get my stuff together. You're just coming down front to experience God's love, wherever you are, 
in your walk, whether you're forsaken, whether you're part of the but first group, whether you're an unbeliever, or whether you're doing fine. The front is open to you, and we'll just, we'll just pray for you and bless you. You don't have to say a word. If you want to ask for prayer for something, that's fine too. But this time is a time where we apply what, what's happened in the Spirit. That sounds weird. Spiritually. Let me pray for us right now. And we'll have some, some ministry time. Father, thank you for the promise, Lord, that you are with us wherever we are in life. Whatever stage we're at, whatever place we're in, you are the God who is with us. That on the cross, you purchased a way for us to know you. You overthrew the enemy of our souls and you give us the opportunity to experience relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you confirm the love of the Father. Come now, Holy Spirit. Just wait. He may speak to you, give you a picture or a word or just a thought.